Today we're going to continue a new sermon series that will go into the summer on um, the Apostles' Creed called We Believe. Last week we talked about what it means to be able to say together, uh, we believe, to join our different I believes into a statement of we believe joined also with the church across time and space. Uh, I'm curious if this will work, if the polling feature will work on here. Um, But uh, in our Tuesday morning group, I I asked this question and I'm more just curious uh, for my own um, uh, curiosity's sake. There's a poll that just popped up on your screen. For this first clause, uh, we believe in God, the Father, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. If you would rank these three statements in the order of importance for your picture of God. Um, This is anonymous, uh, so don't uh, worry about anything like that. Um, But uh, what we think about God, first and foremost, really creates a, a pretty... Um, substantial um, uh, picture of how we relate to God and also uh, for some of us a big barrier to how we can relate to God. My mind typically tends to separate these things about God, Father, Almighty, Creator. My mind creates neat little compartments where I can consider God's familial characteristics as a divine parent, apart from God's strength. And I can consider that apart from God's creative power. To do this means that, you know, different people, even just the different people on this call, can at different times know God uh, in very specific ways. Sometimes as a divine dad who will listen to them and who is never too busy for a game of catch, while others know God as all force and power, while others can't shake the picture of some distant deity who wound this world up like a clock and let it play out, a sort of laissez-faire God. It's no wonder with all these varying pictures of God, these different concepts about God, that these three things can sometimes feel like they're in conflict for us. That They can actually almost create like three different gods, lowercase g. But the, the creed, the Apostles' Creed, this early confession of faith betrays that the early Christian church needed to say all three of these things all the time, always at the same time. All three of these things always at the same time. Father, Almighty, Creator. The same kind of uh, fragmentation is true from the bottom up as well. Maybe you feel that these days that, um, I know I do, that that I'm so limited in my ability to hold all these disparate things together and my capacity to feel. There are so many simultaneous and conflicting things happening. Like, I think we've all experienced this kind of avalanche that we uh, may not be super equipped to deal with of micro-griefs, and these micro-griefs are like, canceled plans or postpone or change sports seasons or school years or weddings. Micro-griefs over 
you know, for me, my inability to work in coffee shops and my inability to get interrupted by happenstance interactions with acquaintances and neighbors. These are things I really cherish. And I, I grieve those in very micro ways. But there are also these macro griefs, these mega griefs over the lonely deaths of so many with COVID-19 or the revealed inequalities in our health care or the violent and unjust, ghastly deaths of people like Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. We don't know how to hold all of these different kinds of griefs together, let alone to hold some of the amazing joys at the same time. Joys over you know, being with family, joys of the Lord continuing to gather and grow Oak Church's neighborhood ministry in Lakewood, joys over the kindness and neighborliness of so many. Joys of the courage of our healthcare workers and essential personnel like grocers and warehouse workers and mail carriers, the people that we so often overlook who are now kind of getting their due. So we rank all of these things because it feels like we can only feel one thing at one time. We desire some way to hold it all together. For those of us who have been given the gift of some measure of faith, at very least, the, the gift of being able to struggle in the journey of faith, we need someone. We need a God who can hold all of it together. All of these simultaneous and sometimes conflicting emotions and ideas and feelings. Someone who is at once kind and under control and intimately familiar with how everything works where it came from, where it's going. This is precisely the sort of God worthy of the first line of we believe, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I struggled to figure out what passage would open this up to us. Genesis 1 and 2 seemed like the easy go-to, but most of my straw polling indicated that God the Father was the weak link in this three-quartered not. So I'm going to invite Abby Wilson to read from a familiar passage that sort of surprised me when I started to look at it in this light. It's a story from Luke's gospel in Luke 15, known as the story of the prodigal son. Thanks, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Here's the word of the Lord. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterwards, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. And there he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. 
His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I have served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. So it's this relatively simple and beautiful story of a dysfunctional ancient Near Eastern family. We get, I think, a good picture of the character of the Father Almighty who creates and recreates from top to bottom. First off, through the lens of this younger son, I'm always curious who, where your imagination gravitates to in the story because there are so many great characters. But through the lens of the younger son, we see often that our version of extravagance is waste. If our, if our version of extravagance is waste, God's version of extravagance is grace. This guy's best life now is Vegas. It's balling on no budget. It's grab and spend. And then just after one quick paragraph, we get when he had used up all his resources. Maybe for us, the more common experience, the more respectable way that all this plays out isn't grabbing our inheritance, which effectively means we wish dear old dad would kick the bucket a little early. Maybe it's not to spin, but rather it's to hoard and save. We balance our fear that we'll use up all the resources by becoming a black hole where the father's resources go in but never come out. Either way, there's this life lived by the logic of scarcity. But we're invited into the life of God, the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who never uses up his resources. God doesn't create out of some lack or need. God doesn't relate to us out of some lack or need. God is grace in abundance all the way down. It's a sort of grace that provides and makes space for us. This story of the prodigal um, was, was kind of like the quintessential story for a, a really important and famous early saint, uh, Saint Augustine, who is a North African bishop. And recently, uh, Christian philosopher James K. A. Smith wrote about um, 
St. Augustine who uh, took on this prodigal story as his own confession. And, you know, Augustine had sown all sorts of wild oats and then um, found his way back to God. And so uh, Smith sums Augustine's gained understanding and he says about all of us, what we long for is not, is an escape, not from creaturehood. What we long for is an escape, not from creaturehood, but from the fraught, harrowing experience of being human in a broken world. We're hoping for a place where the sovereign Lord can assure us you're safe here. And this, this hope for a safe home often happens amidst us sabotaging and creating all sorts of unsafety and all sorts of um, impossibilities for home. We're often our worst enemies in this, but God, the sovereign Lord can assure us that we're safe here. Also in the story, secondly, we see just how solid the Lord, the Lord's identity is as father. Some have a really difficult time understanding God as father. Maybe when you signed on today, you, you were kind of scared or you rolled your eyes um, that we were going to be talking about God as Father. Maybe that doesn't sound like very good news uh, to you because of maybe your own brokenness in your relationship to or your experience of an earthly father. Father to you might mean emotional distance or father means abandonment or father means abuse. For that, I'm, I'm really sorry. In those circumstances, to say father is short, hand for patriarchy, it underwrites a sort of power that is scary and hurtful. For early theologians, knowing God as Father was important, but didn't have as much to do with gender in these ways that often bother us. God as Father doesn't mean that God is male as much as it indicates that God is the origin of all things. That's how these pieces of God as Father and God as Creator interlock together. In our time, uh, in our discussion group Tuesday, anyone is invited. Hopefully Zoom will get their act together before Tuesday. Um, but it was surprising for many of us in that group. Um, it was surprising of how little in our reading, which is really heavy on patristics, focused on the things we often think about when we think of God the Father attributes like kindness and generosity and nearness, all of which, of course, are true about God, but many of which can shift um, through generations of cultural expectations of what a dad is. But few of, of those things figure in the sort of calculation that God is the father, because at its core, fathers, by definition, just have to come before children. And like generationally, fathers are always before their children. And so the Father is there, God the Father is there eternally. God is there before us, but with the Son always. There is never a time when God was not Father. This is, you need to stay with me here because this is a little mind-bending, but it's really beautiful if we understand some of the implications and what this could open up for us. While the man, the younger son in the prodigal story, sought and was pretty successful and basically unsunning himself, becoming not a son to his father. He, he would imagine himself more likely to become 
one of his father's hired hands rather than a son again. While all of this happens, the father always remains the father. Even when he's lost his son, the father remains his father. In a similar way, the eternal father has always been the father. There was never a time when God was not the father of Jesus, the son, even before Jesus was born and became flesh. This, uh, these grand theological ideas that are hard to get wrap our minds around always have kind of a payoff. It means a couple things for us. First, it means that God's work in God's life, in God's love, always comes before us, always goes before us, is often hidden to us because we come to that game late. In the same way that our dads, however good or flawed they may be, they come before us. God, in God's infinite goodness, is our loving parent before we can even know it or understand it. God always comes before us. It also means that in some way, we are related to the God, we're related to God in the way that Jesus was. Again, we talked last week, the creed doesn't so much teach us what to believe as it teaches us what sort of world we live in, in which belief is even possible. So we live in a world where God is fundamentally about family and, and the ties of family. We are related to God the way Jesus is. The, the human Jesus becomes the invitation. and Jesus becomes the paradigm for us for how to be God's children. Jesus, and here's a plot twist in the prodigal story, is also our true elder brother. That the older brother for all of humanity, who instead of, you know, in the, in the prodigal story in Luke, stands there with his arms crossed, Jesus instead joins in the party planning. Jesus talks us up to the Father and matches the Father's sprint step for step out on the road to meet us to give us a robe and ring and sandals. The Father and the Son share compassion. They share a co-suffering with all of creation to bring it back to them, to bring them back to and beyond their former glory, to bring us home. As is often the case, the answer to an absent or abusive father isn't no father, but it's rather a good father. It's a father who is present, a father who loves us. In some ways, the prodigal story anticipates the problem we have with picturing God as father in a world of The parable brings us into the drama. It helps us see ourselves either in the far country with the younger son or scandalized back home with the older brother. What if God's relationship with the son is unbroken and not in conflict? What if they have the same mind and same heart and the only reason the son would ever leave the father's side is because he is sent to do the father's work to expand the family business of bringing back lost ones? 
What if the son was so intent to see this work through, done in the right way, that he'd suffer and die because that is the furthest of far countries and death is the max security prison from which creation needs to be sprung? And then what if the son, raised by the spirit, got to come back and be by the father's side, not lost, but found, not dead, but alive. And only now Jesus comes with lost brothers and sisters who he's always been talking about, always sharing their needs and desires, always going out uh, on and on about, and always sharing the slideshows of this long and difficult trip that he's come back from. And God the Father can't get enough of this. This is how God the Father Almighty can be important for us, even if our earthly fathers have failed or continue to fail us. This divine relationship joined with the Holy Spirit is at the very core of who God is and thus who we are and how we can live with joy and abundance and hope. So since this is true, then when we talk about things like God's kindness, the ways that the best father we could imagine would be kind to us, God's kindness comes to us not just as an overflowing attribute, but because of God's eternal connection to us. Amy Peterson, who's a friend of uh, the church and uh, got to preach um, with us via Zoom, uh, in our Lenten season about lament, she talks about this sort of virtue of kindness of God, that God is kind to us because God made us to be God's kind. <laughs> That's a, a, a funny etymology and play on words. God is kind to us because we are made as God's kind. We are created to be like God and thus we share in God's kindness. This is a fundamentally family resemblance sort of existence that we share. This is, I think, why in the Beatitudes, when Jesus pronounces blessings on, like, for instance, the peacemakers, he calls them, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called God's children, it means that they are growing in the family trade. That peacemakers create peace where there was no peace, often at great cost to themselves. These peacemakers are revealing the kindness of God by being a God kind of people. Uh, whenever you talk, or whenever I talk or think about the story of the prodigal son, I can't not think of the world that Marilyn Robinson has created in her novels, Gilead and um, Lila and Home and the forthcoming one called Jack. And in this um, Midwestern world, the Reverend John Ames um, kind of gets around this idea of God's kindness and, and why it comes to us. He says, it seems to me people tend to forget that we are to love our enemies, not to satisfy some standard of righteousness, but because God, their father, loves them. We are to love our enemies because God, their father, loves them. We join with God in this enemy love work because God loves God's enemies and is all of our Father. 
I think this sums up Jesus' whole earthly ministry of proclaiming good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, liberating the captives, giving sight to the blind, etc., and calling us into this good work. To be a recipient of all these things, sight, binding up, good news, liberation, means to experience the kindness and grace of the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But it is also to understand and to be brought back into our original image, to be remade as kin and kind to God through God's heir and son, Jesus. This is where this all cashes out. Rowan Williams in his beautiful little book on the Apostles' Creed called Tokens of Trust talks about almightiness in this way, not as might or power, but this is what almightiness looks like in practice. It's the unlimited power to be there, to be faithful to and for a world that is so deeply unstable and unjust and suspicious and uncooperative. It's the power to go on trying to get through at all costs, laboring and wrestling with the human heart. God is to be trusted as we would trust a loving parent whose commitment to us is inexhaustible purposes for us are unfailingly generous in someone who whose life is the source of our life and who guarantees that there is always home for us. So this is the good news. We declare this good news in the creed. The good news is that this is my father's world. Grow in this good news that God is invested in this creation. This creation that includes you and I, but doesn't start or end with you and I. As creator, God is the one who is the holder of everything. And God is the one who holds the possibility of home open to us. So come home. If God is the holder of everything, that means God is merciful and God is mighty. And there is no conflict between those two things, mercy and might means that there is nothing outside of God's vision or concern. It means even the darkness is not dark to God. It means that there is no conflict within God, even as we note all these little paradoxes, or maybe big paradoxes. We talked about that Tuesday, too. There are just paradox after paradox when you start to get into the life of God. But maybe this sort of paradoxology, we'll call it, isn't a killer of faith. Maybe it's the goal of our faith. It's our goal to live into this held together, thoughts above our thoughts, ways above our ways. That's what Isaiah says about God, sort of divine life. And if we've been far from this life, if we've been sapped from it, if we've been disillusioned by it, we know that God, in God there's always still the possibility to return. And that like the prodigal son will be welcomed home with open arms, with great joy, with great delight, with inexhaustible and recreating grace by God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Will y'all pray with me? God, we, we thank you for um, surpassing our 
understandings and our expectations. Uh, we thank you for subverting our understandings and expectations that you might come to us as a good father, as an almighty um, one who holds all together, as the creator and recreator of heaven and earth and the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, we, we thank you that we get the privilege and honor to grow in our ability to um, trust in you and to say that we believe in you, that we, we pledge allegiance to you. We give you thanks for all your gifts in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Mm -hmm.